0: Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, a podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about characters who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo and I am hosting solo today, but don't worry, you do not have to listen to me ramble on for the next 45 minutes. Um, I'm so thrilled to be welcoming Megan Collins to the podcast today. Megan is the author of the novel The Winter Sister, which is coming out February 5th from Atria Books, and she also happens to be my agent sister. So welcome, Megan.
1: Hi! Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love your podcast so
0: much. Thank you. We're so excited <laughs> to have you. Um, Wendy and Kristen send their regrets. We, uh, it's so hard to find a time when all three of us are are free because everyone's <laughs> so busy. So yeah. we're gonna do some of these solo interviews, and you get to be our our first guinea pig. I uh, uh, Hope you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I do not mind. <laughs> Well, just to kick things off, um, do you maybe want to share a little bit about you and your publishing journey, maybe how you signed with our wonderful agent? Um, yeah, whatever you want to tell us. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I actually f- the Winter Sisters, the third
1: novel that I've written, the first one that actually sold and is going to be published. Um, but so I had another agent in 2010 um, with my first novel that I wrote and uh, she shopped that around and as often happens nothing really came of it um, and then she kind of left agenting altogether to um, pursue just writing on her own. So um, I wrote another book and I started querying with that one for a while and I was getting like a lot of interest. But then people were coming back and saying, um, for whatever reason, it didn't work for them. And um, and actually with that book, speaking of unfe- unlikable female characters, um, the narrator of that book she was kind of tricky for some people because they were like uh i find her sort of whiny and annoying and i don't really understand like why she's so snarky a lot of the time and i'm like um i love snark but whatever
0: <laughs> all um, those things people never say about male narrators yes, ever exactly yeah. exactly
1: <laughs> so i was like oh my god is like nothing ever gonna come with this one either because the character is just too nobody likes her and um So then when I stumbled across um, Sharon's agency's website and looked at what she was looking for, I was kind of like, oh, this is who I should have been querying all along. Um, And so I queried her. And this will, if she's going to listen to this, she'll probably be creeped out that I know like all these days, but I cleared <laughs> her on a Wednesday, heard back from her that day saying that she'd enjoyed the sample material and wanted to see the whole thing. And then um, I sent it off. I heard from her then the following Tuesday saying that she loved it and wanted to talk on the phone we talked it was great she just sounded like she totally got the book she didn't think that the character was unlikable or if she was unlikable that wasn't a problem um and so she ended up representing me on that book and at this point that was like 2014 and she shopped that around but it was just like the first one nothing really happened with it um but then she worked with me um in revising the first book that i had written and we kind of took that to a new level and then she shopped that around same story so (laughs) yeah and at that point i was working on the winter sister so i had that in the wings and um luckily because i was always kind of like oh god she's gonna she's gonna break up with me because i just she keeps doing all this work for me and nothing's happening but um she was like hooked on that project from the start and really encouraging of it which is really what helped me to get it to where it is and um and then so she
0: once that was done she sent that out and now here we are so that's awesome that you persisted through all of that because that must have been (laughs) really (laughs) difficult but sharon's great she just uh, she really stands by her writers like she's not just in it for one book or to like make a quick buck or whatever like right. she really invests in people's careers so yeah i hope she's listening we're just going to talk about her. <laughs> <laughs> her ears are burning all the way in new york <laughs> yeah i mean
1: i'm it was definitely rough like going through book after book that you know things weren't selling and and then coming to this one and being like oh god this is the third one if this one doesn't do it like they say third time's the charm but i don't know and so but yeah she she did amazing work with just helping me to get it where it needed to be and then helping me get it literally to where it needed to be into the right hands, so that um, I got to sign with Touchstone and now uh, I'm actually gonna be, it's coming out from Atria because Touchstone has kind of moved around. But um, yeah, so it's been amazing
0: working with Sharon, as you know. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> She's great. Yeah. Um, and I loved the Winter Sisters so much. Thank you. I like, it just, it really hooked me. And I, I read probably the last two thirds of it in one sitting. Just. <laughs> it was a lot. It was very, like, emotional. I was just yeah. so caught up. Um, could you tell us a little bit for the readers who might not be familiar um, about the kind of the plot and characters and just give us a little pitch for it? Sure.
1: Yeah. So um, when the book starts, the main character, Sylvie, is 14 years old and her sister, Persephone, um, goes missing and uh, at that point her mother like sort of completely goes off the rails even though they don't know what happened they don't know if she's coming back or if she's dead or whatever Um, so that's kind of strange but then they do discover three days later that Persephone has been murdered and um, the story kind of jumps from there to 16 years later when Sylvie's 30 years old she's been kind of like floating through her life and clearly has not fully dealt with, um, the grief of losing her sister. And so she gets a call from her aunt who ended up taking care of her once her mom, um, just completely extra went off the rails once they found out that she, that Persephone had died. And, um, she tells her that her mom has cancer and that she needs Sylvie to come home to take care of her. And Sylvie has done everything in her power to kind of stay away from her mom for the last 16 years because her mom basically just turned into an alcoholic and just like was so angry and bitter and um, really neglectful that whole time. And it just hurt Sylvie to be around her. So it's really difficult for her to come home, but once she does and she starts taking her mother to her cancer treatments, she finds out by bumping into him that um, Ben, who was her sister's boyfriend at the time of her murder, Is working at the hospital where her mom's getting her treatment and she's always been convinced that Ben is the person who killed her sister though nobody um, was ever arrested for it they never figured it out and so that gives her the push that she needs to kind of go and try to figure out for herself what really happened and to try to get justice for her sister all while trying to navigate this really uncomfortable relationship with her mother
0: just making me want to read it again now. <laughs> I feel like I can't I can't uh, express my full feelings about Ben without giving spoilers, but he's yeah. such a great character. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the kind of central trio of women in this book. So Sylvie and then her sister Persephone, who even though she's not really like physically in the book because she's dead, she's such a presence in everybody's life. And then their mom, Annie. Uh, so you said you've gotten some pushback from people who found like all of them unlikable or just i mean i know annie's kind of an obvious one because she's pretty mean to her daughters and uh very complex relationship with them but like what what other kind of feedback have you gotten on these characters um well all of this is
1: uh i know you're not supposed to read your goodreads or net gallery reviews but we all do (laughs) and i'm sure at some point maybe when the book comes out i'll stop but um yeah so just things i've seen from there like for the most part people have been very kind and have been saying nice things but when they do have a critique of the book it's something like I didn't like any of these characters because they were all just so terrible and and Sylvie was just uh, immature and whiny. Again I got the whiny thing which I'm I don't I don't know maybe maybe I'm just naturally whiny and
0: I don't see it but <laughs> no that's just the fucking patriarchy yeah <laughs> I don't know I, I feel like that's such a loaded term like yes. whiny shrill all of that it's yeah like things we only say about women
1: yeah um, and so just saying uh, things like that about Sylvie which I mean it doesn't on a certain level it doesn't not it doesn't necessarily ring false to me because I do think that she's very emotionally stunted and in a way she's kind of stuck where she was when she was 14 years old, so there might be some things she says that come off maybe a little uh, less mature than somebody her age would normally say, but I think that that's just part of what she's been through and the trauma that she's experienced. Um, so yeah, people have kind of said that and and some similar things about Persephone that she is, um, because. We find out through uh, Sylvie's memories as the book goes on that Persephone was not like this saint-like person at all. I mean, she wasn't bad by any means, but she just, she has natural flaws. She's a person, she's a
0: human, so. Yeah, she's um, not the perfect victim. Yeah. Like angelic and everything, which is what we always expect of, especially young women who are victims of crimes. Like they have to fit this Mm -hmm. certain mold or people take issue with it or don't feel sympathy for them it's it's you really uh hit that on the head in the book it's it's great
1: (laughs) well so she yeah so she's kind of like spiky a little bit i would say and um so some readers and again like for the most part people have been really great but um yeah some people don't necessarily like that and then of course Like you said, Annie, uh, that's the person that people really tap into the most as, like, I couldn't believe this. She was such a horrible mother. It's so unrealistic how horrible of a mother she is. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) Really? People said that. I feel like there are a lot
0: of horrible mothers in the world. Exactly.
1: But I think that's so interesting that um, if she wasn't a mother in the book and if she had just been like a woman and she was acting those ways, um, I wonder if, I mean, yes we know that people would still criticize it but um i wonder if it would have been the same type of criticism because we have these ideas of what a mother should be societally speaking and it's such a narrow view of that and like it's so stupid because at the end of the day like mothers are humans and they're all people too with as much complexity and contradictions as non-mothers or men of course so (laughs) um i think that when there's that kind of representation of a mother, of someone who is not a great mother and who is neglecting and um, sometimes kind of cruel, uh, that it can make people feel really uncomfortable uh, either because it kind of butts up against their own experience maybe or um, the expectations that we have. And it's uh, it's just like people don't wanna go there it seems.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I found really interesting about her, and again, I will steer clear of spoilers, mm-hmm. but she's selfish in this way. Like she even before uh, Persephone is murdered, she has this, um, Annie has this kind of private emotional life and these things that she's keeping from her children. And uh, it's like we don't want to allow mothers to have that kind of agency and privacy and everything Mm -hmm. it's like everything in their lives is supposed to be about their children and that's just not the case with her she has this whole um she's got a lot of other stuff going on Mm -hmm. and she is an unlikable character if you (laughs) want i mean she's pretty awful to to sylvia especially she's but she she has reasons for it Mm -hmm. and you really she's very complex and over the course of the book i think even if you don't sympathize with her you can understand where she's coming from if you if you want to but some people don't want (laughs) to don't want to go there right
1: yeah And I actually. I mean i think i had to be this way writing her character but i do have a lot of sympathy for annie i mean i wrote her as kind of like this warning to myself and to everyone really about what can happen if we try to hold on too hard to something that we've lost or if we hold on to grief and don't let it go and just that she kind of represents that idea that it can cripple us, it can make us make these terrible decisions. And so I always just see Annie as someone who, like one of her major flaws is that she just doesn't know how to move on or to manage her sadness. And then that has this ripple effect on all the relationships in her lives. So, oh, I mean like people are right, Annie is selfish and she's mean and she's terrible, but at the core of her, I just see this really wounded woman and and just she doesn't, for some reason, have the tools to um, move past that. And so for that, I have a lot of sympathy for her, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And same thing with Sylvie. It's like mm-hmm. you can't expect her after what she's been through and the way she grew up and what happened to her sister that she's going to be this totally well-adjusted, yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> like happy-go-lucky person. Like she has issues and uh, doesn't handle things the right way all the time. And that's what makes her an interesting character. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we expect women, not just in fiction, but in life to be able to handle all of our emotional shit and not take it mm-hmm. out on other people. And that's just not, I and mean, we're all human.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I've seen... Um, not with Sylvie, but I've seen when people talk about characters who do have this big emotional baggage in their life, um, like, if they are too well-adjusted, then that's their critique. Like, oh, she's way too, like, that doesn't make sense that she would go through this trauma and she's just living her life normally and she's like, whatever. Um, Or if they're more on the Sylvie side of being kind of stunted, um, then there's that critique. And so
0: I'm just like, well, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no like right way to do it. Um, yeah, that's I've seen that too. I'm trying to think of a specific example now, and I'm coming up short. Yeah. But where it's sort of like, oh, she's like a heartless bitch or something because she's not a mess over mm-hmm. whatever has happened to her. I've definitely seen it in books with um, characters who've been sexually assaulted. It's like people yeah. want to assume that that just completely destroys a person and they're never the same again. And if they see a character who is still living her life and functional in a lot of ways, they're mm-hmm. t- just bothered by that. So, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I would love to talk also about the mythological inspiration for this. Um, mm-hmm. So people may have guessed since the sister's name is Persephone, <laughs> that there's a mythological influence. Um, but yeah. If you could talk about that and kind of how you got the idea in the first place.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's funny because I, uh, Speaking of reviews that I shouldn't be reading. I read one recently where a person said that they were so annoyed that That Persephone's name was Persephone in the book and that maybe if the book maybe if The character had had a different name. I would have liked the book more but every time I got to that name It was just like a speed bump Um, But I mean, I mean, okay, so like it's not it is a weird name in like 2019 um, and we don't hear it often. It's If you've never heard it before you might or seen it, you might not even know how to pronounce it. I know a lot of people say Persephone and then I like shrivel up and die a little bit inside. <laughs> but um, I named her Persephone because I wanted that very obvious link to the Persephone myth to be there so that the reader comes to that with all of those associations um, because I wanted to uh, play with those a little bit. And this novel actually started for me as Um, The idea for a short story, I was thinking about doing a collection um, where each story was strongly influenced or based on a different woman in Greek mythology and just kind of like playing with their story and the perception of them in the story and how would that play out in a contemporary context. And so the seed of this book came to me when I was just thinking about the Persephone myth, which is my all-time favorite myth and should i just give like a quick rundown of what it is if people don't know what the myth is yeah okay so persephone um her mother demeter is uh like the goddess of the harvest she's responsible for making everything grow and persephone one day gets kidnapped by hades the god of the underworld and so uh she gets whisked away down there while she's like picking flowers and doing this very like innocent thing. And, um, so Demeter realizes that she's missing and she, well, there's two versions of the story, which is one of the reason I love this myth so much in one version. She's so, distraught and in so much pain over missing her daughter that she can't do her job to make things grow on earth. It's like when we're upset about something and it's like, oh, I have to go to work and be a person. Um, so, so everybody starts dying on earth because nothing's growing. Um, and in another version of the myth, she's so angry and filled with such rage that She, like, willfully is kind of like, well, if I can't have what I want, nobody can have what they want, and she makes it so that all the crops die and nobody has any food. Um, So this gets out of hand. Zeus comes down off his little perch and he's like, hey, you need to knock this off. And she's like, well, you need to talk to your brother and tell him to give me my daughter back. And he says, oh, but, you know, he's a really great guy. You should, like, you should be proud to have him as a son-in-law. And she's like, no. So uh, <laughs> so um, Zeus talks to Hades. Hades is like, fine, she can come back as long as she hasn't eaten anything from the underworld. But Then, oops, she had eaten these pomegranate seeds. So uh, Hades and Demeter make a deal that for every seed that Persephone ate, she would um, have to stay one month in the underworld. And so she ate six seeds or some versions say four seeds. So, but either way, she's gonna spend half the year in the underworld and half of the year um, on earth with her mother. And so the Greeks use this story to explain the seasons so that um, in spring when Persephone comes back, Demeter's happy, so everything starts to grow. And then in summer she's there. So everything's lush and beautiful. Um, but then in fall when she goes back, Demeter is sad again. So then things start to die, and then winter she's dead. And of course then we have the title, the Winter Sister. Um, but so uh, the the origin of the Winter Sister as a story to me was when I thought about like what would have happened if Demeter in the myth had had another daughter besides Persephone, so that when she was either like, drenched in her sorrow or just off the rails with rage, um, how would that daughter have fared or have navigated her childhood uh, in the wake of that relentless grief and sorrow um, from her mother over losing Persephone? And so I kind of see Sylvie as the answer to that question and then once that idea started to flesh out, I realized, okay, what I have here is a novel, um, not a short story, uh, though I still like the idea of the short story collection, and maybe I'll come back to that someday.
0: You should. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that myth too, and I I know a lot of other writers who are obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think I feel like there have been, or I know of a couple in the works of like kind of retellings of that mm-hmm. myth, especially in uh, young adult literature. Yeah. Bone where... Gap. Did you read that? No, not yet. I oh, need to. That was a good one. But a lot. It's always. Um, a lot of these modern retellings are focused on giving more agency Mm -hmm. to Persephone because in the original myth it's like she's just her mother and her husband are fighting over her and Mm -hmm. we don't really know what she wants yeah (laughs) if she wants to stay in the underworld or she wants to come back or what you know we don't really know that much about her so I always find it interesting when um, stories give her more agency which I think even though Persephone is just in flashbacks in your story she she's comes to life so vividly um, and you get a sense of like who she is and what she wanted but you're still you're hearing about her through these different characters like you're hearing about her through her sister through Ben Mm -hmm. through her mother Um, you can kind of piece together something but you don't really know who she was necessarily so I think it plays with that in really interesting ways Um, and also the way that they all sort of mythologize Mm -hmm. her after her death and kind of I don't know, <laughs> like yeah. we do that, right, with people yeah. in our lives who've who've died. Like we um, make like, kind of take away their humanity in a way mm-hmm. and make them symbols. And, and that's how we process our grief. But uh, we're never going to get the full picture of who they were.
1: Yeah, I, I've always been really interested in that whole thing, the way that we mythologize the dead. And actually, my first two novels, the ones that didn't sell, uh, had a lot to do with that. So I guess I just can't really stay away from that subject. Um But yeah, so when people die, we say all the really nice things and we ignore the true real stuff and we paint them as kind of a saint instead of a real person. And it kind of becomes this illusion that we all have a part in creating. Um, But I think what I'm really interested in and what I tend to write about is that moment when a person or character in this case has that illusion shattered um, that, okay, this person wasn't this, ideal romanticized version that I've had in my head because of how much I miss them or whatever. And I find that to be really interesting. And I love exploring that.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's so many moments of that in, in The Winter Sister <laughs> where characters, they think they know Persephone and they know everything about her and that their interpretation is the correct one. And then we learn some new facet of, mm-hmm. of her life and personality and it just kind of keeps unfolding. Yeah wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, Okay. So another thing I thought we could chat a little bit about is this is inspired by a recent Instagram uh, post of yours, which everyone, you should follow Megan on Instagram (laughs) for beautiful posts about writing, but also pictures of her dog. who's like the cutest (laughs) dog ever. (laughs) Recently on Instagram, you posted about how you keep poetry books beside you while Mm -hmm. you're drafting. Um, So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, like the influence of poetry on your writing style, because you are just so good at balancing that beautiful language while still keeping up the pace and character development. Like it never lapses into sort of ponderous literary fiction. It's just like a beautiful language with like that thriller pace. And I'm, I'm in awe. So please tell me how you do it.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, Yeah, I mean, the majority of my actual training as a writer has been in poetry. Uh, I studied it the most in college. I studied fiction too, but I more so studied poetry, and my MFA is in poetry, and since then I've um, published a lot of poems in various journals, and I teach poetry a lot because I'm a teacher in my real day job life. Um, So it's a huge part of my life, and I find that the biggest way in which it influences my writing style is, like of course I always want really strong images and I want the reader to be able to feel like they're there. Um, So that, the training in poetry definitely helps that. But more importantly, I think it helps me pay attention to the rhythm in the prose, which I think is really helpful when pacing something. Like for example, I always like my chapter endings to feel like the end of a poem, kind of, not in terms of like, what they say, like, necessarily coming to this big grand conclusion or whatever, but in how they sound if, uh, they were to be read aloud, like, I don't remember who said it. I mean, a lot of people have probably said it, but I know that, um, I read somewhere some poet who was talking about that when you're concluding a poem, if you can build in some kind of little, like, sound echo or um, like a slight, even if the poem doesn't rhyme itself, like a slight, uh, either slant rhyme or just something where the sound is repeated, that it helps it to feel more conclusive. And I, I had like started just doing that kind of naturally, I think, for a while in the poetry I was writing. And then when I was focusing on fiction more, um, I found that when I was getting to the ends of chapters, I would kind of layer these sounds into them and kind of have these little, like, almost rhymes in there. Um, and so it it does a couple things. It makes you feel like you've kind of built this momentum, and then you've come to this, uh, like, yes, this is the end of the chapter. It's not abrupt or anything. Um, but then also a lot of times doing that can really emphasize the emotion that the character is having or the impact of whatever action has just happened. Um, so that's really how i think i see my um the work i do with poetry coming into my fiction writing Um, and i always want like even not just the chapter endings i want the um prose to have kind of a cadence to it and a sort of musicality and rhythm um and so i try really hard to get that in there Um, but some of my biggest writing influences are authors who combine really excellent stories and storytelling with such beautiful poetic language like Margaret Atwood who is as great a poet as she is a novelist Um, and Toni Morrison who basically is a poet but I don't know if she actually writes poems but you could just cut put line breaks into any one of her chapters and there you go you have a poem Um, so I've always uh, once I like started reading writers like that and saw that you don't have to exist in like one box or the other like you can um have a great story but you can also have the language be kind of hypnotizing and casting a spell i was like that's what i want to do that's the kind of writer that i want to be um cuz that's the kind of thing
0: that i love to read yeah well you're doing it <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's definitely there and i love that kind of stuff it uh it, like works on you subconsciously as you're mm-hmm. reading um cuz it feels really effortless it's not like i'm was reading your book and thinking about, like, each beautiful turn of phrase, but it all just uh, – yeah, it, like, works on you sub- subconsciously, that rhythm. And mm-hmm. I love um, Margaret Atwood as well. I mean, yeah. I guess everybody – like, who doesn't, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, she's one of those authors where I read her work and sometimes I'm just like, uh should just – why do I bother? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's I know. so good. Oh, my God. And even when I um, – you know, I don't, I've, I haven't read all of her books. I've read a fair amount of them. And even when maybe I'm not as into the plot or characters in one of them, I will just, I can't put it down because the language mm-hmm. is so beautiful. I just want to like write down every single, yeah, <laughs> single phrase. And yeah, she's incredible. And oh my God, now the sequel to Handmaid's Tale is yes. going to come out. And oh my oh, God. Oh, do you, you, do you know about that thing where she wrote a book and it's in some like secret library that'll only be yes. open in a hundred years? I'm like, yes. I need to. <laughs> I need to freeze live myself. Yeah, yes.
1: <laughs> it's so it's so awesome, but it's also so painful because I won't be here to read it. But I'm like, let's plan a heist, man. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I need to read this
1: book. <laughs> also, that's like I feel like that's when you know, like you have. I mean, she she knows for a long time that she's made it as a writer, but like. The fact that you could write an entire book and then not be like, okay, now this needs to get out there and like, hopefully I can make some money off of it and go on a nice vacation or something.
0: Like, She's just like, nope, it's in the vault. It doesn't matter. Ugh. Ugh, I want to read that book so bad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like on my deathbed, I'll be like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Atwood. <laughs> um. <laughs> All right, well, let's... Uh to kind of wind things down here why don't we talk about do you have any particular favorite unlikable female characters in other books in movies tv just whatever comes to mind yeah um I mean there's so many
1: but when I was thinking about I I assumed this question would come up um (laughs) I was trying to I wanted to pick um something that's really contemporary and then um I knew that I wanted to pick also something, someone from an ancient Greek myth, surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> Keep it on so, brand, I like it. <laughs> so I have someone very, very contemporary um, in a book that just came out last year and um, then someone from a long, long time ago. So I uh, recently listened to the audiobook of The Favorite Sister by Jessica Knoll. Have you read that?
0: Yes, yeah. Yeah.
1: And so it was... I was so blown away by the audiobook. I mean, I was entranced by the story itself, but like the voices were so perfect. And, um, I just like, I could not wait to get in my car so that I could go to work and listen to this story, which if, if a story is good, I know a story is good. If I'm like, yeah, I can go to work right now. It's fine. Like I'm going to listen to <laughs> my book. Um, so I think all the female characters in that book were pretty unlikable by society standards oh yeah um but i loved stephanie the most um and it's so hard to talk about it without spoiling anything because there are so many secrets that get revealed um and it having only come out last year i think i don't want to say too much but um like by the end of the book like she does some pretty terrible things but she was so strong in the way that she did them and so meticulous um that it's really hard not to admire her and feel sort of empowered by her which Mm -hmm. then i feel like every time there's a character who does really bad things and then you're like oh my god i love them that you kind of have to question yourself like what does this mean about me but uh (laughs) but yeah i just loved her so much and and the voice um for the the whoever the actress who um did her voice in the audiobook was so great um and I just think that The Favorite Sister is a really interesting book as far as unlikable female characters go because it revolves around these women who are on a reality, if people haven't read it, are on um, a reality TV show called Gold Diggers. And they're basically just all young, successful women who have prioritized making their careers thrive over anything else. And just thinking about women in the reality TV space, it seems like that's one of the only spaces where women are allowed to be and and kind of really celebrated for being unlikable and they can kind of make a brand for themselves in that way um so i find that really interesting um but yet in the book we see the consequences of those unlikable traits or actions that uh like the camera is waiting for and the audience is waiting for and that's all they want to see um but we see how that plays out in terms of how um, they either, like, form or ruin relationships between these women because of those traits and those things that they do.
0: Um, Yeah, I love that one. I love that one, too. And um, I liked how sort of self-aware all the characters were about, uh, like, who they are on the reality show versus in real life. Like, it's like this carefully cultivated unlikability for mm-hmm. the cameras. And then they have their own like real kind of unlikable traits yeah. off camera. And they're very aware of how all of that plays together. But yeah, that was really interesting one. That's really fascinating about reality shows because I think you're right, but it's also like they're not um, like reality shows aren't taken seriously. And mm-hmm. The women on them are kind of uh, like people hate watch them and yeah. make fun of the women. And so um it's yes. like a spectacle instead of like we're not taking them seriously as savvy business women which most of them really are I mean yeah. even kind of creating yourself as a character in that way is difficult to do
1: yeah we want them to be awful so that we can like I don't know why but derive some sort of pleasure out of um seeing them behave in these ways and then uh but then we're also like yeah chastising them for it at the same time so yeah it's a, it's a really weird Space, I think, just that whole reality TV world.
0: All right, who's your ancient female character?
1: My ancient female character is Medea, who. Yes. <laughs> love it. <laughs> she does, like, objectively speaking, she does some really, really terrible things. I mean, she kills her own brother so she can flee home with Jason, who she's fallen in love with. Um, and not even just kills him, but, like, chops up his body and throws it into the ocean as a diversion for his father, her, their father, who's now coming after them. Um, so, like, that's gross. And she <laughs> gets revenge on some man for Jason's sake um, by tricking the man's daughters into cutting him up and boiling him in a pot. Like, that's not great either. Um, She betrays her family, I mean her family sucks so like I don't really care but I guess some people might have a problem with that. Um, She kills the woman that Jason leaves her for and then like the real kicker I think for a lot of people is that she kills her kids because she thinks that they're gonna um, become slaves and that death is better than slavery in her mind. Um, So she's got a lot of really bad stuff going on but I just love her so much because supposedly Jason is the hero of that story, um, the quest for the Golden Fleece, but he wouldn't have accomplished anything if it weren't for Medea. I mean, she tells him everything he needs to do to get it done. She uses charms and magic to help him. She saves his life over and over again, and she just gets no credit for it. Not from Jason, who leaves her as soon as the quest is over and they're, like, far away, Um, and not even really from the like, Greek storytellers themselves who saw Jason as the hero of that story and not Medea. Um, but then, like, another reason why I love her so much is at the end she has this just, like, kick-ass speech that she gives to Jason, basically saying, how dare you, but in, like, really eloquent, amazing language, and then the story ends with her stepping off a roof into a chariot pulled by dragons and flying away, which is just some like hardcore Khaleesi stuff going on right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So I just love that so much. And um, I, I, so I actually, uh, also probably not surprisingly, I teach a mythology class and um, it's like a class where we read the stories, we discuss them, and then students write pieces, kind of doing what I did with the winter sister like incorporating in some ways though not as a novel because I don't want to grade a million novels um (laughs) but so when we did our heroes unit last year um I had made them write up these rubrics for like you know what's a five for a hero what's a three for a hero what's one what's the opposite of a hero and so we had to grade the like ancient greek heroes according to our at that point 2018 standards and thinking like they're not going to hold up because the Greek heroes are the worst. Um, So we had, we were doing Perseus, Theseus, uh, Hercules, and Jason and so we got to Jason last and then afterwards like the whole class was like well but when do we grade Medea and I'm like oh I mean she wasn't considered like a hero. They're like um but she did everything in this. I'm like yeah but like she was a woman they don't care and so then they ended up grading medea and of course she won uh which i loved and i was like <laughs> you kids are great um but yeah i just love her so much even though like like i said objectively she does a lot of not great things at all
0: someone has to have written like a modern update of I that know. right because that just sounds like like you know a man taking credit for yes. a woman's accomplishments like yeah <laughs> <laughs> that just keeps on happening mm-hmm. oh my god Awesome. Okay. Well, t- okay. To wrap it up here, why don't you tell us about whatever your next project is? And I saw you just announced your next book mm-hmm. on Publishers Marketplace, right? So yes. congratulations, Thank first of all. Thank <laughs> you.
1: Um, yeah. So the novel that I'm working on now, which will come out next, is called um, Behind the Red Door. And it's about a woman who um, goes back home to New Hampshire, where she grew up, to help her father move and um, begins to believe that she was the only witness to a kidnapping, a really famous kidnapping, that happened in New Hampshire 20 years ago. And so she becomes fueled by this need to uncover these memories that she thinks she's repressed, um, because the girl who went missing 20 years ago is now missing again. And so the public is pretty sure that, like, whoever took her then took her now. And she's like, I'm the only one with the key. So, um, that's kind of the premise and, uh,
0: yeah, and where are you at with that now? You're drafting still? Yeah, or... I'm still okay. drafting. Yeah, that's where I'm. Uh, I just finished a proposal for my second book, and now I'm like, oh, now I have to, now I have to write it. It's like all yeah. backwards because <laughs> when you're a debut, it's like you have to write the whole thing first and make it right. perfect, and and then yeah, it's flipped around for mm-hmm. your second book, and it's uh, kind of cool but kind of terrifying. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's also it's like the dream to have somebody be like in the publishing world, be like, yes, we want you to write this, but it's also like a extreme added pressure um i think it's like both a motivator and a pressure
0: but yeah definitely but i
1: but i'm happy to have that pressure
0: (laughs) yes yeah well good luck with that i can't wait to read it um as soon as it's uh as soon as you have arcs i'll be harassing (laughs) with you and sharon i'm sure (laughs) all right well this is so much fun thank you for joining us thank you so Um, much and uh, everybody pick up The Winter Sister, which actually by the time this podcast airs, it will be out. So you can get it at a bookstore near you. Thanks, Megan. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Pod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.